The following program is paid for by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America Mortgage, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS 1071, AZBK 0910184. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Absolute Mortgage. Visit absoluteloans.com or call 888-90-HOMES for cost information. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America Mortgage. Now in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome to The Money Hour on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, October 22nd show. I'm your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. My goal is to keep you up to date on the latest news and trends in our local economy. Keep me tuned in and I'll keep you informed. If you're listening to my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but I'm here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that I have in studio today. Please call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyhour.com. And the show lineup today, Tony Sablon with New York Life. He's going to be discussing long-term care. Also in studio, Gary Castle with Mountaintop Advisors. Investing in low interest rate world is my conversation with Gary today. And last guest in studio, Holly Furin with City Closers Real Estate. City changes and how they affect our real estate market. That's going to be the lineup for our show. Very excited for uh, my conversation with all my guests today. Great information and great guests in studio. For more information on any topics discussed or topics that you'd like to hear on future shows, please call the show at one 855 or online at themoneyr.com. And today, as always, we'll start out with a little money chat. Money. Money. For any homeowners out there or people that are looking at purchasing a home, I thought I'd break down title insurance a little bit and some common questions that you may ask about title insurance. First, what is title insurance? Title insurance is a protection against loss arising from problems connected to the title of your property. Before you purchase your home, it may have gone through several owner ownership changes. There may be a weak link in the point of the chain that could emerge and cause problems, and that's the purpose of title insurance. For an example, someone along the way may have forged a signature in transferring title, or there may be unpaid real estate taxes or other liens. Title insurance covers the insured party for any claims and legal fees that arise out of any of those problems. Is purchasing title insurance required? Well, if you want to get a mortgage, the answer would be yes, because all mortgage lenders require title and protection for the amount equal to the loan. It's paid by the buyer in a premium, which is payment that'll be paid up front it's part of your closing cost now does title insurance do anything for you the required insurance that you have to pay as a buyer protects the lender up to the amount of the mortgage, but it doesn't protect the equity in your property. For that, you need owner's title policy for the full value of the home. In many areas, Washington State being one of them, the sellers pay for the owner's policy as part of the obligation to deliver good title to the buyer. In other areas, other states, the borrower must buy it as an add-on as a lender policy, add-on to the lender policy. I would advise that you do this because the additional cost above the cost of the lender policy is relatively small and you want to make sure that you have that coverage. Now, does the lender policy 
indirectly protect you. No, they protect against the loss and the lender policy would only cover the lender's loss. Of course, the fact that the insurer issued the policy to the lender indicates that the title has been searched and nothing has been found. But no search is 100% dependable. That's why the insurance policy is issued. Now, when does title insurance protection begin and end? Title insurance only protects against losses from claims that arose prior to the date of the policy. Coverage ends to the date of the policy is issued and extends backwards in time for an indefinite indefinite period. How long is the property owner purchase title insurance? What is it? How long does that cover indefinitely? The owner's protection lasts as long as the owner or the heirs have any interest in the obligation with regard to the property. When they sell, the lender will require the purchaser to obtain a new policy that protects the lender against against any liens or other claims against the property that may have rose since the date of the previous policy. For example, if a contractor you failed to pay remodeling the kitchen places a lien on the home or you got a roof done and they place a lien on the home, you're not protected by your title policy. The lien was placed after the date of the policy. So you'll probably be required to require to get this lien removed before you can sell that property. But in the event that the lien hasn't been removed and a search has failed to uncover it, the new lender will be protected by the new policy. Will title insurance protect you against false claims that arose after the purchase of the property? The standard policy does not, which is a weakness. Many events beyond your control can reduce the value of the home after you buy it. And if it's newly constructed house, subcontractors claiming that they've not been paid by the builder may place a lien on the house in identity theft can result in a new mortgage um, if you do nothing about that. A neighbor could build uh, on the land without your knowledge, thereby advising possession of the possible eventually taking eventually taking the land. Or you may suddenly be told that you must correct a zoning violation of the previous owner. To deal with these issues, a new policy with extended coverage has been developed and has a small price increase, so you want to do that. It's usually referred to as an ALTA homeowner's policy. Uh, Does title insurance cover a rise from increase in value of your property? No, but coverage increases by 10% a year for the first five years to 150% of the the original amount. You can buy additional coverage as a writer to that policy if you choose to. If the policy, policy does have such a writer and the property has appreciated sharply in value, you may be able to purchase additional coverage on the same policy by paying an incremental fee. The fee should be modified because of the new title search is involved. Now, the coverage will only apply in the title defects that existed prior to the original date of the policy to extend the coverage to exist the property in the original date of the policy. So to extend that coverage to events that may cloud the title of the original policy, you would need to take out a new policy with a new search and pay the full rate. Uh, why do you need to purchase a new policy when you refinance? So you need a new policy when you refinance because the lender is going to require that in for a new lender policy. The old one belongs to the old lender that had the loan, and they want to make sure that there's no additional liens or anything that came up on the property. If there are in that title search, search you're going to have to um, uh, fix those liens, get those taken care of before you can move forward and close on that refinance. And last, does title insurance guarantee you that you'll be able to sell your property in an unforeseen 
claim areas. No, title insurance does not prevent loss of markability due to the title claim and any more than what your fire insurance would prevent in case of a fire. So if a claim arises, you probably won't be able to sell your property until the claim is settled by the title insurer. The interests of the owner and the insurer may clash in such cases. So the owner usually wants settlement immediately, whereas the insurer wants to minimize the cost of the seller, which may require title consumption negotiation. So a little bit about title insurance and some questions that may come up for you. And that's my money at money chat today. Coming up next in the money hour. What do you need to know about long-term care? Tony Sablon with New York Life right here on 1150 AM KKNW after the short break. Are you near retirement, recently transferred to a new job and wondering what to do with your old 401k? Are you interested in learning about how to create a defensive and offensive strategy for your financial plan? Tony Sablon of Eagle Strategies can help you analyze your current financial plan, life insurance, and investments. Tony Sablon has helped hundreds of individuals, families, and business owners bring clarity to their financial plan. This is Tony Sablon with Eagle Strategies. To learn more about my practice, call me at 425-586-0977 or reach me online at ultimatewealthstrategies.com. To receive a free consultation, call me at 425-586-0977 or reach me online at Tony Sablon at eaglestrategies.com. Again, that's 425-586-0977 or reach me online at Tony Sablon at EagleStrategies.com. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. Sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Pinnacle Capital Mortgage Corporation. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, October 22nd show. I'm committed to providing you knowledge needed to be successful in er every area regarding your finances. Knowledge is power, and that's what you'll receive by listening to the show today and every week. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but you can always call the show at one 855 Again, that's one 855 or online at themoneyhour.com to ask any questions that I have, get, have guests in studio today. And right now, I have Tony Sablon with New York Life, and we're going to be having a conversation today about long-term care. Tony, thanks for coming back in studio. Hi, Tina. Thanks for having me back, and uh, it's good to be back. So today I'll be sharing some thoughts on long-term care insurance, and uh, it's often overlooked in a financial plan given that we are living longer today, well into our 80s, and possibly even the 90s with advances in healthcare. And without a plan, it, it can seriously deplete your savings first. Yeah, a good, really good topic, Tony, to bring to my guest today. I want to give a little bit, a little bit of background about Tony. Tony Sablon, Wealth Advisor with Ego Strategies LLC. He's also the founder of Ultimate Wealth Strategies, based in Bellevue, Washington. Tony works with individuals, families, and business owners to identify what motivates them, that keeps them up at night, and focuses on financial solutions that can help make their goals a reality. He not only relies on his own knowledge and experience, but also the experience of a 
team of specialists. His mission is to develop enduring relationships with his clients by providing expert guidance pertaining to life insurance strategies, investments, and upgrading people's financial plans. Tony is also a soon-to-be author for his financial planning book coming out in the fourth quarter of this year. Very exciting, Tony. And again, it's just um, excited to have you here and and also to to have a conversation regarding long-term care. So can you explain a little bit to my listeners about what long-term care is, Tony? Generally, when we think of uh, long-term care, we think of medical care. And really, long-term care includes care services outside of medical services, which makes our lives more comfortable. This usually is defined as help with the following activities of daily living, and that's bathing, eating, transferring, dressing, toileting, continence, or help with the uh, cognitive impairment. It is not covered under your health insurance, and that's one of the biggest misconceptions. So, Tony, what are some reasons that you should consider when deciding about whether or not to get long-term care? Well, considering the following statistics according to the AARP, 70% of Americans age 65 and older will need long-term care. And 80% of those age 65 receive care either at home or in an assisted living facility. And annual costs in Washington State, um, at least the median annual costs for uh, things such as homemaker services, that's about 57000 home health aid, another 57000 nursing home care can uh, get you roughly about 97000 and a private room within a nursing home care is about 107000 So as you can see, it's, uh, it can get really pricey for, long, uh, for care. Yeah, so if you're listening to that, it really is to do something about it now and figure out what you're going, what your plan's going to be to make sure that you have this long-term care in, in place. So, Tony, what about myths out there about long-term care? Um, one of the biggest myths is that it's expensive to get a plan in place. And the reality is you can't afford not to have a plan. Yeah. The reality is uh, this cost varies a lot by person, and our goal today isn't to try and predict this or come up with a big number to scare or intimidate anyone. The goal is to create a plan plan that best fits your objectives no matter your budget. So more of the story is there's a plan that will fit your budget. And another uh, myth is that the government or health insurance will cover me. And that's not true. Medicare uh, or conventional health insurance and HMOs generally cover only skilled care. And most long-term care is not skilled care. Uh, disability income insurance does not cover long-term care services, or Medicaid uh, has strict limitations and requirements before it will cover long-term care expenses. And the last myth I'd like to share is, you know, often folks will say, I'll be able to pay for it myself. Well, mm-hmm. it depends. Um, on average, nursing home costs can run over 90000 per year. And considering a couple with half a million in total assets, you can deplete those assets in a few years if uh, you're not carefully planned. Yeah, relatively quickly. So if I mm-hmm. have someone listening uh, right now, Tony, that's uh, asking the question, when would be the best time to purchase your long-term care insurance? I get asked often, you know, if I'm going to pay for 35 years, then why don't I just wait until I'm 65? Well, for starters, today you're probably healthier and definitely mm-hmm younger than you'll be tomorrow. So when you apply for long-term care insurance, you go through an underwriting process, which basically gives you a rating based on your current health and age. So essentially, the younger you are, the healthier you are, and the more likely you are to get a favorable underwriting outcome, which will affect the, the premiums you pay. 
So get it as, as soon as that you can to make sure that you're you're healthy and you're not going to pay those extreme uh, extreme cost for them. Exactly. And then, you know, even if you are in your 60s or 70s, you know, the best thing to act is, or the best thing to do is act now mm-hmm. uh, rather than keep putting it off because you won't be younger than you are today. A very good point, Tony. <laughs> so what are the key risks in creating a financial strategy for long-term care? So a key component to staying the course is having or build, building a strategy that minimizes the five common financial retirement concerns. And that's inflation risk, market volatility risk, withdrawal risk rate, and longevity. And the fifth mo- and most significant concern is health. So staying healthy, living healthy, being healthy, and all of the costs associated with our health um, can affect your financial plan. So, Tony, let's talk about some ways that you can cover your long-term care. There, there are uh, different ways, and we won't get into the details, uh, but I'd like to share that you, know, you can use, cover long-term care costs through Medicare, Medicaid, you can self-fund with personal assets, or having a long-term care uh, insurance. So when you re- reach out to me, I generally go over your options based on your current situation and goals. So, Tony, how can my listeners uh, reach out to you? Uh, by checking the Money Hour website. And there you go. <laughs> so, Tony, are there cultural aspects of long-term care? Yeah, so in some cultures, like the Latino culture, Asians, or even the in, uh, East Indian cultures, it's customary for children to take care of their parents mm-hmm. or older relatives. And the dynamics of this relation uh, plan really creates a cycle of stagnant uh, stagnant to no wealth transfer from generation to generation because you're redirecting your current retirement dollars as a young uh, couple or young individual and any legacy planning that you want to transfer to the your next generation backwards to your family so it really keeps folks um, in the same wealth wealth uh, bracket if you will so having a plan that you know takes into account your current long-term strategy rather than transferring it onto your kids mm-hmm. is, um, is a tough challenge for, for, for certain cultures. So what do you see as the, the, the best way that people are actually taking out term long-term care insurance for their parents? That's a good question. And usually the answer is they don't have a plan. Yeah. And you know, you're limited with assets to take care of them. So th- Really what I'm seeing with uh, some of my clients is they've already gone through that long-term care mm-hmm. plan and really it's, it's just their personal savings and leaving work early to go take their yeah. parents to the hospital. So really there's, there's just n- not a lot of planning. And I have to say, as a, a daughter, daughter-in-law, my, my mother-in-law is um, going some through there's some things now, and she got her long-term health care at a very, very early age. And it's been such a blessing for, you know, not only us, but also for her that she doesn't have to put that burden on her kids. So, um, you know, really planning early. And I know that hers was relatively inexpensive because, just like you said, she got it at an early age. So what if I have a listener just saying, you know, I... I don't need it. I don't need long-term care. What do you say to them? I usually ask them, you know, how will spending $3,500 to $7,500 per month per person impact your family? That's crazy. And then I also ask who knows your extended care plan and has copies of it. And lastly, I go, what does your current long-term plan look like? If you don't, you know, if you say you don't need one, 
because with a proper plan, your care can be provided where you choose and not someone else. And it, it can be provided by the people you want rather than people that someone else wants. Mm -hmm. And for most folks, that's staying at home, surrounded by family and friends. And that's where the overwhelming majority of people who own some sort of long-term care insurance receive their care, and that's at home. So, Tony, you mentioned uh, Medicaid or Medicare. What is the, what's the actual difference between long-term care insurance versus Medicare? Uh, Medicare, that's a government-run program, mm -hmm. whereas long-term care insurance, generally you're getting that from a private insurance company such as you know, New York Live, Transamerica, and any other large insurance companies that you're familiar with. So, Tony, what are the odds um, that you're going to need long-term care services during your lifetime? Are there any statistics on a percentage of people that, that need that? Or, you know, what do you see with your, uh, with your client base? It's, about, uh, it's a high probability, and that's, mm -hmm. you know, 70% of the Americans age 65 or older are either in going through long-term care mm -hmm. or accessing their benefits or in need of long-term care. So if you're listening, I mean, in everything, it seems when it comes to money, and let's say the show is called The Money Show, because it's really all about creating a safety for you and your family. And when you get into your retirement age, you want to make sure that you can en enjoy that and not have the additional uh, stress of things that you could have taken care of at a younger age. So, um, you know, really encouraged to take a look at that of uh, your long-term care insurance. Make sure you get lined, uh, get that lined up now. Tony, any final thoughts that you want to leave my listeners with or suggestions that you have for them regarding long-term care? Yeah, so most Americans will need it at some point, and that's not treatment of an illness or an injury. Rather, it's help with daily activities when a medical condition affects your ability to care for yourself for an expanded, uh, extended period of time. It may be expensive, whether you get care in your home or at a facility, the cost can add up quickly. So a plan is a way to keep your retirement on course and enjoyable. Uh, fourth, uh, third, you know, you may not be able to count on Medicare or Medicaid to pay the bill. Medicare pays benefits for assistance only immediately following a hospital stay, and it won't pay for more than 100 days of care. And most, most costs must be paid out of your own pocket. Medicaid offers assistance only if you have a financial need. And since not all long-term care facilities accept Medicaid patients, your options for care may be limited. And the other thing to note about Medicaid is that you have to spend, if, if you're in a bracket where you don't qualify to qualify for Medicaid, you have mm -hmm. to spend down a significant amount of your assets. And then fourth is, you know, affordable long-term care plans are available and there are many options for long-term care protection. And for many, it's just a fraction of the cost of care itself. And, you know, a little coverage can go a long way. And lastly, the younger you are when you buy, the less it will cost. So act now, get yourself taken care of. You don't want to get to retirement age and have your assets depleted because it's going to the cost of your long-term care. Tony, thank you so much uh, for coming back in studio again. It's always a pleasure uh, chatting with you. Thank you, Tina. Coming up next in the Money Hour, investing in low interest rate world, Gary Castle with Mountaintop Advisors right here on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break.
Hi, my name is Gary Castle from Mountaintop Advisors, LLC. I'm a licensed, registered, and insured investment advisor and fiduciary. I help small businesses and families in the Puget Sound area with their retirement plans and sorting through the various investment options that can be so confusing. Every type of investment has risks, so it's helpful to have a 30-year professional helping guide you through the confusing and conflicting options that you have these days. My area of specialty is in adding alternative investments to your accounts to reduce risks and possibly increase your gains. These are complementary investments that do not go up and down with the stock and bond markets that most investors already own. By adding these additional types of investments such as real estate investment trusts, business development companies, commodities and others, we increase your safety by increasing your diversification. Why put all of your eggs in two baskets when you can split them into four or more? Visit me, Gary Castle at mtadvisors.net, Mountaintop Advisors, or call me at 253-332-0734. Securities are offered through Titan Securities, member SIPC, and FINRA. Today we're talking with Mary Lee, who is the creator of the Ultimate Home Selling Success System, a new way to sell your home without the typical pitfalls and roadblocks which cause sellers to lose sales and profits. Mary's unique system creates a seller's market on every listing, giving the seller the best buyer and the best price in the market with no home inspection contingency. Mary hasn't sold a home with an inspection contingency since 2005. Her proven business model is changing how real estate is done, not only in the Puget Sound area, but across the country. There is a better way to sell your home in today's market, one that results in higher profits, a quicker sale, and a smooth, successful home selling experience. Hi, this is Mary. To learn more about our ultimate home Selling Success System, call us at 425-941-4229 or go to www.secretstosellingyourhome.com where you will find free consumer videos on how to prepare your home for the market, top tips for proper pricing, how to hire an expert agent, sell your home without a home inspection contingency, and get a customized market snapshot of home values in your area. This is the place where savvy home sellers are going to get expert advice on creating an exceptional home selling experience. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Pinnacle Capital Mortgage Corporation. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, October 22nd show. I provide you news on everything regarding money, fresh information on market trends and conditions in our local economy. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. You can call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 to uh, talk to my guests, ask them any questions, or if there's anything you'd like to chat uh, with me about, please feel free to uh, reach out. Right now in studio, I have Gary Castle with Mountaintop Advisors. We're going to be talking about investing in low interest rate world. Gary, thanks for coming back in studio. You bet, Tina. Thank you very much. And Gary, again, is with Mountaintop Advisors, LLC, first licensed in 1984. Gary's been a high-volume bank program and at a very well-known credit union. He has a Series 663 and Series 7 licenses in addition to being fully licensed for life insurance and annuities, both fixed and variable. And today, the, the topic, Gary, is investing in a low-interest rate environment or world. And so with interest rates so low, how can an investor find ways to get a decent income for their investments. You know, CDs right now aren't doing so swell. No, they're 
they're uh, really down at uh, historic lows like you have found with mortgages. Mm -hmm. Most of your listeners will know that uh, they can borrow money very, very inexpensively right now, but it makes it very, very difficult to find any sort of an investment that gives them a a decent, uh, exciting yield. Yes. So most investors have got uh, two types of investments in their IRA or 401k or any type of an investment portfolio. They've got typically stocks or stock-based mutual funds, and they've got bonds or bond-based mutual funds. Uh, and maybe cash, but they're really only diversified with those two things. And bonds right now just don't yield very much in the way of income, income, and neither do CDs. So what do we do? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's, that's the predicament that a lot of my customers are, are in, especially, uh, uh, the, the more, my more elderly clients, uh, seniors that are, uh, retired and trying to live off their investments. Um, they look at stocks, uh, the volatility scares them, prices jump all over the place. Um, the stock market doesn't like uncertainty and we've got a really contentious uh, election going on right now. Yep. We just had the, the British exit from the EU. We've got Puerto Rico and their bonds are you know, in crisis and maybe terrorism and all sorts of things. So people are nervous and that's not good for the stock market. Mm-hmm. So people investing in the stock market have seen wild fluctuations, but they really haven't gotten a heck of a lot of overall growth in the last couple of years. Uh, Bonds uh, could be one of the scariest investments currently from a standpoint of as soon as interest rates do move up, then the value will drop tremendously. Mm -hmm. We haven't really had that happen for 30 years. So people are kind of thinking, what are you talking about, Gary? I thought bonds are really safe. They are, or they can be, but you can also lose a lot of money. And it, recently, in, in 2014, uh, during the summer, the Fed decided that they would try raising interest rates, and they raised them uh, only a quarter of a percent. Mm-hmm. If you owned what's considered to be the safest investments of all long-term U.S. government bonds, in a two-month period of time, you would have lost over 14% in value. Wow. If you're only getting paid a couple of percentage points, that's, you know, six or seven years worth of income. And Mm -hmm. that's, my clients don't like that. Yes. So that's, that's the risk. But there are other things that have come up because of um, uh, banking regulations and some other circumstances that I think are uh, a good solution. So Gary, what about investing in commercial real estate for income um, and value of appreciation? How can you do that if your account, the net worth that you have isn't millions of dollars? The, the easiest way to do that, and that's sort of the area that, that, that uh, the company that I work with, uh, Titan Securities, uh, that's sort of their area of expertise, mm-hmm. alternative investments, non-stock, non-bond uh, types of investments. And uh, the best way to invest in commercial real estate uh, so that you own the building and there are tenants that are paying uh, rent to you, uh, the easiest way for somebody to do that uh, without having huge, huge amounts of money is to invest in a real estate investment trust. And what happens in that scenario is you and a whole bunch of other investors put pool your money together and mm-hmm. then they go out and can buy the, the property with large amounts of money oftentimes just walk in with cash and they can negotiate a pretty, uh, pretty good deal. So with the real estate investment trust or, or REITs, they are, you own the land or you own the lots and the buildings and you're collecting rent. So how do you know that, um, that they're going to be sending the income and paying for that? That's a very good question. Uh, I think a lot of people might wonder about that. Uh, they're required to. 
they have to send 90% of the uh, income that they generate to the investors. If they don't mm-hmm. do that, then they're, uh, they can lose their tax benefits, and that will hurt them a lot. So they work very, very hard to not to not run into that problem. So they do disperse, and uh, it's a very nice, consistent income, typically, uh-huh. if you are selective and, and get into the right ones. So if determining if you want to invest in to this real estate investment trust, is there some type of previous track record or ways that you can get information to see how they've performed? Absolutely. And that, that's one of the key the key things to look at uh, when you're trying to decide what real estate investment trust do you want to put your money into. Uh Uh, Buried in the prospectus, um, in clear sight, uh, that people don't normally read, uh, they are required by law to put in their past offerings. They have to put in what did the investors on their previous uh, 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 REITs, how did they fare? Uh What happened? Did they make money? So if you find somebody that has, uh, has uh, set up and run four of them and every one of them worked out very well for the investors, that's a pretty good indication. Uh, if they've only done two previous and one of them lost money and one mm-hmm. of them gained money, then maybe you should look into it a little bit more carefully. doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad, but you know, it'd be something to look into. So just like probably anything else, the, the more risk that that, uh, that asset or that investment has, then you're probably going in at a lower cost versus ones that are, are have performed better, it's going to cost more. Is that correct? Not really. Okay. I, I, think, the, I think the main thing um, is, is there, are, there basically can be two different types. There can be a very opportunistic type that could mm-hmm. have a very large gain, um, but you maybe it's a little bit riskier and maybe they won't be able to perform versus another one that's very, very cautious and conservative. Uh, They might have a lot of different types of buildings. Uh, They may have uh, very high occupancy Mm -hmm. and very high credit quality tenants. You're not going to make a ton, but it's going to be nice and consistent. So there are a lot of different types. Okay. So Gary, what are the, the risks attached to investing in real estate investment trusts? The, the biggest one, uh, obviously, you could, uh, they could buy buildings that go down in value mm-hmm. and uh, they could lose their tenants and maybe not be able to, you know, to perform. Uh, but more than that, uh, if you find somebody that's got a good track record, and right now, especially, I feel that it's a very, very good time to buy, especially if you're doing it this way where you walk in with cash, you're, you're in a much better position to, A, complete the sale and the people will know that. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sure they're going to mention that when they negotiate. Sure. And uh, so, uh, so in any event, um, you can buy low, and that's the first part of the buy low and sell high. Okay. Yeah. The, the conditions. Another thing that's happened is uh, the banking community uh, has had to pull back. They've been restrained now about how much they can invest in real estate. So what happens is they may be only to, uh, if you want to buy a commercial building to operate in. Um, you might have been able to get a 90% loan in the past for your commercial property, your warehouse, your office building, whatever. But now you're probably only going to get about a 50% loan. And then you're going to have to get uh, the equivalent of a second mortgage, uh, some other type of financing Mm. to get the the difference in there. Okay. Um, A real estate investment trust, so it makes it very difficult for people to buy. Uh, they, the, the money is not as free as it mm-hmm, used to be. It's mm-hmm. not as readily available. So it's, it's tougher if you've got a building and you're anxious to sell it. 
somebody comes walking with cash, that's that's sure. pretty exciting. Yeah. So let's say that you don't want to limit yourself and just um, uh, buy in the in in the U.S. investment options, but you don't know a lot about investing in foreign countries. Would that be a good idea? You're describing most of my clients. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're a little nervous about the U.S. and they really don't know very much about what's going on in the rest of the world. But that's why they're talking to you, right? That, that, yes. That yes. would be that would be one of the best reasons for doing that. Uh, uh, currently, uh, is about ninety uh, percent of the land in the world is not in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, a huge percentage of the population is not in the U.S. and a huge percentage of the businesses uh, in the world are not in the U.S. So. Yes, a person should consider that, and uh, there are some conditions in other areas that uh, that are very exciting, uh, very very have a very high potential and yet lower risk. Yeah. So, so just like anything else, you've got to talk with an expert that understands what you're investing in, that can really coach and help tailor a plan that's going to fit uh, your risk and and the money that you have to invest. So, Gary, what about these impact in investing funds? Is this something new? You share a little bit about that. Yes, that's something that you'll you'll start hearing that term a lot more. It's it's been around for a little while, but it's starting to really gain. Uh, basically, with impact investing, what is happening is um, uh, they're going out uh, and before they make a loan to a business, uh, that business has to say that they're going to do something. You know, before you invest in that company, they're going to create a positive impact in their area. They're going to. Mm -hmm. Raise they they pay a higher wage than the prevailing wage. Uh, that company is uh, the nice kind of company that might provide uh, free housing for their employees, or they built a school for the local you know kids, or they've done something good. Uh, that's that provides a new, good positive impact. You feel good about it, and yet sure. you still need to get a decent rate of return. So, Gary, if you want a decent return on your IRA so that you can someday re retire, that's all what we want to do. But you've heard the socially responsible uh, funds do not perform very well. Are these impact funds the same thing? Yes and no. Um, I've done a little bit of work. I'm not an expert in socially responsible funds. The the, the big challenge with them, it's, it's a type of mutual fund where um, they restrict themselves to only investing in certain, they will exclude certain industries. Uh, maybe they don't uh, do any investing if, if a company has anything to do with um, guns or alcohol or tobacco or something like that. But there's no standard definition. So another socially responsible fund uh, might only concern themselves with uh, pollution. Mm -hmm. um, sure, all the ammunition you want to make as long as you don't pollute. Uh, yes. So it's very difficult for the investor to figure out which one they really want to invest in. The impact, um, like I said, what happens there is that they're uh, we're still first and foremost, uh, the one that I'm most familiar with, they still want to get a decent return. And there are conditions in certain developing countries where they... Um, there are no community banks. They don't have mm -hmm. the banks what work. You know, we see them all the time. Every corner, there's a there's a community bank, and they love to loan money to us. But in these other countries, there may only be one bank, one national bank, and that's it, or two. Yeah. And they don't do small loans to small businesses. Now, these are businesses that might have 200 to 500 employees. Mm -hmm. That's bigger than my business. Yes. By a long shot. But... Uh, but still, those types of companies are good companies. They're they're maybe in their growth phase. Uh, they they've got a lot going for them, but they can't find you know anybody that will loan them money. So these people put up these funds, 
and uh, you have to show them that you're going to do something good in your community, mm -hmm. then we'll loan you the money. And since they don't have a whole lot of sources, they're very anxious to pay that back and probably get another loan the following year and the following year. That's yeah. Right. Well, Gary, it's a, an interesting way of looking at investing. And I think for anyone that's in investing, diversity is, is important. It's also important to know what your investment options are and make sure that you're, um, again, you've got that expert that can kind of lay things out and put a great plan together for you. So I appreciate you bringing this in studio and uh, sharing race with my listeners. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Tina. Coming up next on the Money Hour, how are the city changes affecting the real estate market? Holly Fern with City Closer Real Estate right here on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. Do you need diversity in your investment portfolio? Real estate can be a very solid investment and Seattle is one of the strongest real estate markets in the country. The secret to making wise decisions is having a proven real estate investment expert by your side. Holly Furin of City Closers Real Estate is no ordinary real estate broker. She has more than two decades of real estate experience with sales and property management. She can help you navigate the booming Seattle real estate market to find golden properties, houses, or condos that are best suited to lease as a yearly residence or vacation rental. Whether you want a short-term investment or one that generates income for years, Holly Furin can help you find the best property and negotiate the purchase. Then she'll market your home to prospective renters and screen tenant applications. By standing between you and the tenant, emotion is removed from the equation. You're not looking for a new best friend. You're looking for someone who will pay rent on time, maintain the property, and be a respectful neighbor. During her 25 years as a property manager, Holly Furin has never evicted one of her pre-screened renters. Her tenant's rent checks have never gone more than 30 days past due. A good real estate investment provides monthly cash income while steadily building equity that you can cash in when you sell or use as a home equity line of credit. During your free consultation with City Closers Real Estate, Holly will discuss your immediate needs and long-term goals. She will deliver a comprehensive real estate investment plan custom-tailored to work for you. I'm Holly Farron with City Closers Real Estate. If you're interested in investing in Seattle area real estate, please call me today at 206-766-8400. That's 206-766-8400. Sign up for my newsletter at hollyfarron.com. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. Sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Pinnacle Capital Mortgage Corporation. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, October 22nd show, bringing in expert advice and inside knowledge on today's events in our local economy and how can they, how they can affect your money. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. You can call the show at 1-855-411-50 or go online at themoneyhour.com. And excited to have my last guest in studio, Holly Ferns, back with me from uh, City Closers Real Estate and 
and we're going to be talking about city changes and how they affect the real estate market. Holly, thanks for coming back in studio. Thank you for having me. And a little bit about Holly. Again, she's with City Closer Real Estate. Holly is a third-generation real estate broker and property manager in Seattle at the City Closers Real Estate office. She has over 25 years of personal experience as property manager. She helps her clients acquire investment properties as well as finding tenants for them and managing real properties. She appreciates the relationships she develops with her clients. Holly is heavily involved in the community service as well as being a Girl Scout troop leader, and she knows how Girl Scouts is important to me and my life. Holly, again, I'm really excited to uh, talk to you a little bit about what's happening, uh, changes in the city and how it's affecting our real estate market. So can you share the current climate of the real estate market today? Yes. Uh, Currently, Seattle is the fourth richest city in the nation with the fourth largest homeless population. And we also have the fastest rising rents than anywhere else, which is causing a lot of problems, especially with exploding the homeless population. The city council has proposed a lot of different ways to combat the homeless problem, including cleaning out the longstanding homeless encampments in the jungle, which recently left one man dead, and eliminating Nicholsville, which is... Uh, while spending a lot of resources on consultants and cleanup. And the current talk is of allowing homeless people to live in public parks. And that has a lot of residents upset. So how do you think that this could change um, the market, Holly? Yeah, some, some residents are getting fed up with some of the ways that the mayor and the city council are handling the homeless situation. And combined with extremely expensive rental prices, it's discouraging people from wanting to keep living in Seattle, especially with the idea that they can't go into public areas without being confronted with a homeless problem uh, that Seattle is dealing with. Homeowners worry about the value of their homes and the safety of their families. And the suburban uh, suburban areas could see an increase of home sales because people are getting tired of the city. So, Holly, what are other ways that the city is trying to resolve or help? Yeah, the city council is already passing ordinances to make sure landlords are not renting unlivable units out by the rental registration and inspection ordinance called the RRIO. They most recently passed ordinances to enforce the inability to discriminate against Section 8, which was already illegal, as well as creating a requirement for landlords to accept the first eligible applicant of rental homes. Those are some ways that they've been trying to end discrimination and continues to plague some of those who fit into those categories. There was also a new levy recently passed to assist with low-income housing subsidies to expand assistance for those who need it. And the housing linkage fee is supposed to decrease rental prices as well. So, Holly, do you think that these new ordinance are are going to affect the market? I think that landlords will start to get fed up with all the new rules. The city council has also indicated that they want to put a cap on rental Mm move-in fees, as well as make landlords allow renters to pay their move-in costs in increments. Landlords get tired of managing rentals all the time, so the the city makes it difficult to collect security funds. It, It could flood the market with homes for sale, shifting the market to more sales and less rentals, which is already leaning more into short-term rentals, which the city council has threatened to cap because of the explosion of short-term rental listings, which of course affects our already scarce rental market and subsequently our short-term housing market. 
Yeah, and it just depends on which, you know, which side you're looking, whether it's renting or owning a home, because, you know, as you know much more than I do, being out in the market every day, I mean, the lack of inventory is, um, it's really, really a challenge. So it'd be interesting to see how this all plays out. So what should residents know about what's happening and how it could affect the home values as well as rental prices? I don't think many Seattle residents realize the effects that transit can have Mm -hmm. and most have no idea the plans that are going into linking the east side to Seattle. So so let's take Bertha for example. Most people aren't even aware that once the tunnel is in place all the current flow will be eliminated and I, I predict that the traffic will get far worse unless people start relying more heavily on the transportation that's being implemented. I suspect that downtown will become so difficult to drive in that people will be forced to start looking to alternative uh, transportation methods just to get around um, because they're going to get tri- tired of driving in the city altogether. So, Holly, what can you do to avoid these possible transit problems? People who are thinking of buying, like, such as the Ballard area, they end up buying in Beacon Hill or the Rainier Valley neighborhoods where they can get more house for less money and have better access to the transit that's already existing. I've had several buyers who've started out looking in Ballard and then end up buying near Columbia City because there was better transit. And they could buy a home for nearly half of what it costs in Ballard with a view of Lake Washington. Once buyers discover that there are neighborhoods that offer many more transportation options, people will end up buying homes that are closer to that transit access. That is already becoming the new trend. So to answer Mm -hmm. your question, people will have uh, to move more closer to that transit or find alternative methods to driving their cars. Yeah, which is, I mean, in the city, it's the prices and the cost associated to buying in the city. So, you know, may not be may not be that bad if you can get a little further out, get a better home, as long as the transit, as you said, if it's if you're able to commute back and forth to uh, for your employment. So, Holly, do you think that the city's doing enough to improve the transit um, system or issue that we're having now? Yes, they they do plan to expand mass transit to Ballard and West Seattle, and that will definitely ease up a lot of the congestion that comes out of those neighborhoods. Um, There was recently uh, something, because that's going to be something to be voted on, and they... uh, the opponents are saying there's not enough restrictions. It could blow up the the taxpayer's uh, obligation for Mm -hmm. an indefinite amount of time. So there is some pushback, but, um, you know, they eventually will attend to expand light rail also over I-90, which will cause even more congestion because the cars commuting um, on the express lanes will have to join everybody else. And uh, it will lead up a lot of traffic overall. Again, if they start utilizing the light rail systems that are going to be implemented, it will cause homes near those light rail stations to increase the value the most. Well, I have to say that seems to see, things seem to be a little bit better on 520. I'm <laughs> I'm not avoiding as much as I used to with uh, I-90. So we're seeing some some improvement. So let's talk a little bit more on the real estate um, side, Holly, because as I mentioned in your buyer or, or your bio, um, you do work with a lot of renters as well as you work with um, um, home buyers and home sellers. What are you seeing uh, challenges right now for sellers think that this is just a perfect market for them, but in any market, there's challenges for everyone. What are the challenges that you see for sellers right now? Yeah, uh, it's still very much a seller's market. Mm -hmm. I find that if 
sellers are not prepared to sell their home, if they don't do a pre-inspection, if they don't uh, have a lot of, you know, if they don't stage their home, if mm-hmm. they don't clean the urine smell out of their home, oh they're, they're going to find their home's <laughs> going to sit on the market for a little bit. And I see that homes are trying to reach for the highest amount they think they can get, mm-hmm. which they always end up, you know, and they sit on the market for a couple of weeks, they cut the price, and then mm-hmm. they sell for, for less. So that's the trend that I'm seeing in the seller's market right now. So in, it seems like regardless of what market we're in, whether we're a buyer's market or seller's market, the advice is still the same for the seller. You want to prepare your home so you can maximize your dollar. You want to make sure that you price it correctly so it's not on the market and just as you said, having a lower price. So regardless of the fact that it's such a hot market for sellers, you still want to strategically plan to make sure that you maximize those opportunities in the shortest amount of time. Absolutely. Now, buyers, they've got all kinds of challenges that are going on, but what are you coaching with your buyers and helping helping them navigate through the environment that we're in for them? Yeah, uh, both renters and buyers, it's the same story. If you see it, if you like it, apply for it now because uh-huh. tomorrow it will be gone. So that's co- that's the common theme I'm finding with my buyers. If they s- want to spend a few days even to think about yeah. the purchase, by the time they decide that they want to make a move, it, it's still a very, very fast-paced market. Yeah, so just to, if you're a buyer out there, you've got to really be prepared, have your ducks in line, and also make sure that you know what you are what you really want in a property, what you're willing to give up, and also the maximum that you're willing to pay. Because when you're going in and needing to uh, increase that price to be competitive in the market, you've got to have that stop number so you know exactly what you're willing to do and not do. And I think what I've, um, not on the real estate side, but at the financing side, just talking with clients that lose out on offers, because we're always having a conversation preparing them to make that offer. And then when they lose it, you notice that the, the conversation's a little bit different. They're seeing a different sense of urgency. And I just kind of feel bad because it's sad to go through three or four times and lose a house and then figure things, you know, out on that sense of urgency. So if you can do it early, it's going to help. Yes. It's going to help a lot. <laughs> so, Holly, what about with your uh, renters? What are you advising them to do to uh, navigate for them in the rental market? It's funny because this is really the best time to buy in the winter. Nobody wants to buy. They all get tired of looking. They want to keep renting. And then that does the same thing every year. Everybody in the springtime gets excited Mm -hmm. and they all get in the market at the same time, which is more of a challenging time to buy. So I think this is, is really the best time to keep looking and not slow down that momentum at all. Yeah. So it's during the holidays, get out there and see what's available on the market, not have as much as much competition. But what about your what about the renters that are out there trying to find rental properties? Yeah, that's an even tougher one, because it seems that if people are spending the kind of money that they are on the rentals, that's crazy. They might as well buy. Yeah. But a lot of people are still challenged with purchasing because, uh, they they may not qualify for mm-hmm. a loan or they might have to be waiting for a little bit more time. And sometimes they miss that mark. They wait too long and now they're priced out. Exactly. So if they can stay in their rental properties, which it can be also a challenge mm-hmm. because people want to sell those properties after they realize that they can get more money by selling it than to continue renting it. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's... 
And I always say from the money side of it with with renters, because you just mentioned, Holly, with the um, the fear of not being able to get a mortgage. Yes. I mean, you have to fit within a box, but the boxes, there's a lot more um, availability for financing. Uh, there's grant programs available. Uh, you can get into a home zero down, not have to pay that money back, depending on where your income's at. Uh, there's loan programs available through FHA, government-sponsored um, program that you can get in with uh Pretty low credit score, 580, as if you've got some challenges going on, but you can get in and, and buy a half a million dollar home. So, I mean, there's financing out there. I think the challenges really come in uh, in the uh, the income arena that you really have to be able to verify and show that you make that money. And thank goodness, because we don't want to get into another financial meltdown that like we had before when it was too easy for financing. So uh, whether you're thinking of uh, putting on your, your market, your home on the market to sell that property, or you're looking at buying, or for those of uh, my listeners out there renting, just really get in and talk with an expert, find out what your options are. Don't miss out on an opportunity or miss out on maximizing your opportunity because you don't have the right information. Holly, thank you so much for coming back in studio. Look forward to having you again soon. Yeah, thank you. And this is your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, signing off for the day. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'll be here same time, same place next weekend, right here at 1150 AM at KKNW. The preceding program is paid for by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America Mortgage, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS 1071, AZBK 0910184. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Absolute Mortgage. Visit absoluteloans.com or call 888-90-HOMES for cost information.